own like intro music or something. That was cool. I like that. Uh, so yeah, like Mark said, I'm, I'm Hal. I'm the discipleship pastor here at Grace. And uh, I'll, I'll just say this like right off the bat. Um, this is going to be a very different message. Uh, this is not... It's kind of funny. I think Mark gave me this message on purpose because he wants you to like me less. Uh, so, and here's why, like, we're, gonna, we're talking about a topic, like, when you say the word, like, nobody wants to talk about it, all right? And some of you are worried right now what I'm about to talk about. Um, uh, we're going to talk about God's discipline, right? Like, oh, yeah. Like, you were literally in your car coming in going, man, I really hope, like, I'm, I, I need to know more about God's discipline. Like, nobody says that. Like, no, nobody likes that, but really, what this is, and I'll just say this, and this may, may sound, uh, this is a maturity message, and, and here's what I mean by that. This is not a message that's going to give you something like when you walk out, you're like, I know exactly what to do in order to do this. This is a message that's like when life happens, when I go throughout this life, when I'm following after God, and these things start to happen in my life, I understand it more. And because I understand who God is and why he disciplines me, and instead of responding with God hates me, I'm going to respond with God loves me. And so it, it's not an easy thing to talk about. And I'll tell you this, it's not an easy thing to talk about to you guys because also I think this, this message is more understood. And I'm not, I'm, look, I'm not trying to talk down to you or anything like that. It's just more understood by those that are parents. I'm not saying go out and become a parent. Please don't do that. Um, that's not your next step. Uh, what I'm saying is until you become a parent, many times it's hard to understand because when you become a parent, you actually go back and you tell your parents, sorry. Uh, because you realize why they did a lot of things that they did. Like, I remember growing up just thinking my parents didn't want me to have fun, and really what they were saving me from was, like, death. And, and so it's the same thing with my kids. Like, I, got, I have two boys right now. They are, they are nine and four. And both of them very early on picked up hobbies that could kill them. Uh, little kids just, they, they go towards danger. Uh, my, my son, my, my oldest, uh, when he was a little kid, he loved electrical outlets and, and electrical stuff, like just loved it. Like, I don't know why, he was drawn to it and he would always grab it and every room he would go into, he would go to it. And there was literally one moment where I was watching TV and I looked over at him and this is how bold he was. Like he made direct eye contact with me, put out his hand and grabbed the electrical outlet. And I'm like, wow. And so I had to spank him. And, and I remember, I, 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 but what else do you do? Like I, you can't tell, you can't tell like a eight month old hey, you can't do that, you're going to die. Like, they don't understand that. They're like, cookie? Like, and so you give them a little bit of a swat. And, and I say the same thing that like maybe some of your parents said when they, when they spanked you. This hurts me more than it hurts you. And, and my, I always, like, told my dad, I'm like, yeah, right, let's switch positions then. Uh, <laughs> that didn't go over well. Um, and then my, my, my younger son, Dax, Dax, for some reason, is constantly, like, wants to be in water, yet he can't swim. And... Like every, every time, like we would go over to my, my mother-in-law's house and he would go for the pool, like directly and go to get in the pool. There's one time where there was a above ground pool and the ladder was outside of the pool on purpose so he couldn't get into it. And dude got up on the ladder and jumped across into the pool. Can't swim. And my son who is nine, it was great that he was there so that he could watch and not do anything about it. Um, <laughs> luckily... The younger one yelled, and we came out, and I'm like, what is wrong with you? He goes, he was making it. <laughs> I was like, I'm teaching him how to swim. I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> but what's interesting about kids is, like, when they're younger, the, there's the, most of the parenting is, like, how not to hurt yourself. Like, the reason we parent, like, I don't want you to hurt yourself. Like, if, if there's ever something heavy up on a stand that they could pull on top, top of themselves, they look for it. 
like when you're, when you're young. But as you get older, you guys know this, as you, as you get older, more of what your parents are doing is preparing you for life, right? They're preparing you for what's next. Like I remember so much of what my dad did is like how to understand like integrity. What does it mean to talk to people? What does it mean to, to have respect for your elders and all those things that was so annoying back then, but I understand so much more now. And so what we're, what we're talking about today is, is God's discipline. And if you have a problem with the, the idea uh, that God is like a parent and we are like a kid, and you're like, well, I'm not a kid, compared to God, we are. Like if you think about like how long God's been alive, <laughs> um, we're like a minute old. We're, we're, we're like babies. Our knowledge of everything, our understanding of everything is, is, is minute. And so really, as maturity shows, we should lean into what God wants to teach us. We should lean into what God is trying to show us. And so what we're going to do tonight is what we're going to do is we're going to take a step back and we're going to look at a passage of the Bible that talks about this. But what I want to do is I want to take a step back even further from it and show you the entire passage to help you understand what is trying to be relayed in this passage. I just want to give you guys just a little bit of knowledge here. I don't know if you guys know this, but like the chapters and verses and books of the Bible, um, those were not there originally. Like when Paul was writing the book, he didn't go, all right, chapter 12. Like this was added in later on to help people find things. And so what we need to do many times to fully understand the scope of what the author is trying to say is read back. Like read an entire thing. Like, let's be very purposeful and not reading something just to get what we want out of it or to get a quote or to throw something on Instagram, but read the entire section so that we can understand what God is trying to teach us. And so that's what we're going to do uh, a little bit of today. So we understand, one, why, why would God discipline us? Why, why is he doing that? Why, why is that a part of who he is? And we're going to start off in Hebrews 11. A little background on Hebrews 11. If you read Hebrews 11, it's actually the hall of fame of faith. It's the people who had really, really big faith. You got guys in there like Abraham, and he, they showed incredible faith in incredible times. And they end it not with a specific of these people did these things, but even some like unnamed. This is what they went through. And, and it's one of those things where you read through it and you're going, these people went through this and they still had faith. They still followed after God. So we're going to pick up in Hebrews 11, uh, verse 33. It says this. It says, by faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut down mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death, but others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Just to help you understand what that is, there's not levels of heaven, uh, but God does promise us more treasure in heaven for what we do here on earth. It says, some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Uh, some were sawed in half and others were killed by the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised. And, and the question is, well, what do you mean they didn't receive all that God had promised? And here's the reason why. It's because Jesus hadn't come yet. Like he, he's helping us understand, like they did all these amazing things, yet they weren't even able to be there for God's ultimate promise coming true, which was Jesus. He says, for God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. And, and what the author is trying to do here, which many people believe is Paul, is, is there, he's trying to convey, like, I need you guys to understand, before Jesus even showed up, these people were, ever, were able to do big, big things in faith. 
big things in faith. They, they, had, they had to deal with all kinds of oppression, all kinds of problems. I mean, you see one point it says they got sawed in half. Like, that's one of those things where it, you it would take the average Christian today, and if we saw that, we'd go, you know what, I, I'm going to convert to whatever you want me to be. And, and so you see these kind of things, and they said they were able to do that. But what he wants us to understand is this. He goes, but they didn't even get to see Jesus. They did all these things with the hope of Jesus. That one day Jesus would show up. That one day Jesus would be here. One day the, the law would be fulfilled. He's saying they didn't even see Jesus yet that they did this. So because of that, because we have Jesus, this means this is how we should act. Does that make sense? Because we have Jesus, this means this is how we should run the race is what he starts to talk about. He starts to talk about what it means to run the race. Because that's what Christianity is like. It's like a race. And, and not a short race, but like a long race, like a marathon. And that, I'm not giving that illustration because I've run one. I never intend to do that. <laughs> I don't get it. Uh, but some people that run really, you, you guys know how Marathon started? A guy ran to tell the information about a battle. He ran 26.2 miles and he died at the end. So everybody's like, we should do that again. So, <laughs> side note. Uh, and so he's talking about the Christian life is like a marathon. What is a, what is a marathon about? A marathon is about getting past all the boundaries, Right? Because there's the physical boundaries, but that's not it. If you've ever gone for a run before, what is happening first? Your mind is telling you, you should stop. This is dumb. Right? Nobody, nobody cares. You don't need to be that skinny. Like, your mind's telling you that over and over again. And you have that mental battle. You have that emotional battle. You have all these things going on. He's saying, hey, look, following after God, this is going to be a battle. This is not going to be easy. It's going to take a lot to run this race. And in the first part of chapter 12, he says, this is how we should run the race. This is how we should run the race. This is how we should do it. In Hebrews 12, 1, we see it. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Who's he talking about? He's talking about everybody in the Old Testament. All those people that we saw that were martyred for their faith, that did big things. Because we know about them, because we understand who they are. It says this, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. How, so how should we run the race? Here's the first thing that we see in there. As free as we can. As free as we can, which means this. We've got to strip off, it says, every weight. Which makes sense because when you see people that are running for a marathon, do they have a lot on? No, they don't, right? They, they have like the least amount you could have on. Like even running shoes for marathons are incredibly lightweight. If you ever had like real good running shoes on, they, they're lightweight. You're like, wow, this is amazing. Why? Well, because after you run a little bit of time, you actually feel the weight of everything there. And I still remember one time my, my parents, we, we grew up in a family. Anybody grew up in a family where parents were, were saved money? Let's put it that way. They were very good at saving money. And like, okay, let me say this way. When you went to dinner, were you allowed to have, you weren't allowed to have anything but water. Like if you, you guys know what I'm talking about. Like that's, that's some of you. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? We had orange juice. Look, you're privileged. Uh, that's great. Good for you. Uh, but my parents were not that way. Uh, it was water. I didn't even know you were allowed to order something else until, like, I got out of college. And so I, I, I still remember we went to D.C. on a family trip. And, and normally when you go to D.C., like, you, you don't try to see all of it at once. And you take public transportation and you do stuff like that. My dad's like, why? We have legs. We can walk. And, and then also what you would normally do when you go to new places is actually go to a restaurant there. And my dad's like, why would we do that when we can make uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? And we're not even going to go in a place to find water because we're going to do that. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to put it all in a backpack, and each of the kids get to wear that backpack as we walk the entirety of D.C. And I still remember, 
Like, it was one of those things. Everything that was in the backpack was good, right? It's sandwiches and all that kind of stuff. But as we try to, you know, walk the entire way, what happens? It gets really heavy. Like, I remember going, hey, anybody else want a sandwich? Like, Dad, you look thirsty. You, you sure you're not thirsty? Like, why? Because it's so incredibly heavy. If I'm going to do something that, that takes energy, I've got to get rid of every weight. In the same way, this is what he's talking about. Now, what he's not talking about in this moment when he says strip off every weight is sin. What he's talking about is everything that we've added to our lives that is good, but it's not God. It's the things that we've, we've kind of added in that are okay, but they're not God. They're, they're, they're fine, but, but, but they're not God. And this could be so many things. Like, what is it that's weighing you down? For some people, it's, it's friendships that you have had for an incredibly long period of time, and you're kind of realizing, like, wait, this, is, this isn't working anymore. Like, this isn't a friendship where I'm trying to disciple somebody or help somebody come up, and at the same time, this is not somebody that makes me a better person. We just kind of hang out because we've known each other from middle school. Like, or, or maybe for some of you... <laughs> Uh, it's a dating relationship. Like you're in a dating relationship right now, not because you think it's going towards marriage, because you're just so afraid of being single. Or you're just, you're in a dating relationship because you just won't, don't want to be alone. And what's happening though, is you're using that as a crutch that's keeping you from growing with God. Or maybe it's just, uh, it's a hobby. Maybe it's <clears throat> video games. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's <laughs> shopping. Um, I, let me throw one at each of you. Uh, Actually, financial debt. I, I've talked to so many people. They're like, man, I feel like God's calling me into the mission field. Well, why aren't you going? Because I, I can't. I, I'm in debt. I, I can't do these things. Or maybe it's just it, it's the job or whatever it is that, that you have that's taking away from everything around you. God says, hey, look at your life. Look at the things that are going on. What is it that is added that is not needed? What is it right now that you're holding on to that is only keeping you from going forward? What is weighing you down? And then he goes on to say, he says, but also, but also pay attention to the sins that so easily trips us up. Now, it says the sin, and so people many times go, well, what, what is the one sin? It's not, it's not the one sin. It's the one sin that is tripping you up. It's the one sin in your life right now, and I think everybody in this room would probably get this. You're like, man, if I could just have victory over this sin, my life with God would go so much better. It's the sin that nobody knows about. It's the sin that you try to keep hidden. It's the sin that, that trips you up every single time because you're not actually dealing with it, and every time you try to take a step forward for God, it comes back into play. It says we need to get rid of that sin. Why? Because the Bible says we'll either be led by our sin or we'll be led by God. So the question is in this moment, if you're honest with yourself, if you're looking inward, are you being led by your sin or are you being led by God? Are your responses to what you want to do or is it what God wants to do? See, God says he wants us to run the race as free as possible. Hebrews 12, 2, it goes on. It says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. So how are we supposed to run the race according to that? As focused as we can. As focused on who? On Jesus. Why? Because it's so easy to be distracted. Right? Especially in this world. It's so easy to be distracted. There's so much going on. You can have the, the greatest idea. You, should, you can know exactly what God wants for your life. But life just happens around you. And it's so easy to look around. In fact, I don't know if you guys know this, but the number one cause of accidents is actually distraction. Four out of every five accidents is caused by distraction. Like from cell phones to, uh, I, I, man, I don't remember the number. There's a large amount of uh, car crashes that are caused, caused by women doing their makeup while they're driving. Which is, look, that's an amazing skill. I'll just give that to you. That's an amazing skill. There's also a whole bunch of guys that try to shave while they drive. Which is an interesting dynamic too. But four out of five, 
four out of five, it's not because somebody's just a bad driver. It's not because their car had something. It's because they are distracted by something else. I, I still remember my, my wife and I before, I think this was right before we started dating, we were going somewhere in the car and she was driving, which is always a mistake. But um, <laughs> she did, look, okay, I, look, when we got married, she had a Honda Accord and every single panel had a dent in it. I'm not kidding. Her insurance was higher than mine. All right? She's gotten way better. It's awesome. We're excited. Her insurance has come down. Anyway, we were driving, and we were in one of those, you know, you have two lanes that are both turning left. We're, we're at a light, both lanes turning left. Uh, we're, she's in this lane turning left. She's in this lane. And she decides to do a U-turn. So the light turns green, and by the grace of God, I don't know what this person was doing, but he didn't go. And my wife, not at, not at the time, not my wife, uh, turns and does a U-turn in front of that person. And like, it's one of those moments where I was so afraid I didn't scream, I just went. <laughs> and she acted like nothing happened, which made me more afraid. I was like, hey, um, you know you can't do that, right? She's like, what are you talking about? I was like, you, you, you can't take a U-turn from the outer lane. She's like, yes, you can. <laughs> can I drive? It, it was, it was funny as I, I tell that story. She actually, she goes, well, actually what was going on? She goes, and I, and I think she's trying to blow smoke, but she's like, you distracted me. And I, and I tell that just because I just want you guys to know, like 20 years ago, I actually had game. Um, not, not a lot of it. Not a lot of it. And most of the time I didn't know what game I was playing, but there was, there was a little bit of it. But, but here's why I say that. Look, there's so many things can easily distract us. So many things will, will come along. So the, the trials of life, the things in life will come along. It's so easy to, to stop focusing on what Jesus is trying to do in our life and focus on everything else around us. It says in the Bible that he is the author and perfecter of our faith. So if we are not looking at him, we don't know which way to go. So it goes on to say this in Hebrews 12, 3. It says, think of all the hostility he endured for, from sinful people. He's talking about Jesus. Then you won't become weary and give up. What is he asking us to do? He's saying, I don't want you to run the race as faithfully as you can. Here's the, here's the idea behind faithfully. That's endurance. He goes, this is not going to be easy. There's going to be obstacles, but I need you to keep going. In Hebrews 11, he shows us these great people of faith, not perfect people of faith, but these great people of faith. And he goes, because we know what they've done, because we have Jesus now, we can run the race better. He says, okay, so we need to run the race. We need to run the race as focused as we can, uh, with everything thrown off, and as faithfully as we can. But here's what I need you to know, and this all goes into the same place. This all is in the same chapter. He says this, but I need you to know this. If you choose, if you choose not to run the race the right way, God disciplines us. So when we choose not to run the race God's way, God disciplines us. Like I said, this is not like a fun message. This is not like one of those guys on TV that's trying to raise money for a second plane that's going to teach you. Like this is, this, is a, this is a maturity thing. God does discipline us, which means when we decide to do things our way, 
there is a discipline that takes place. There is a response that takes place. This is not something that is fun. This is not something that we enjoy. But like I said, with maturity, it's an understanding that is from a God that loves us. In Hebrews 11, 4 to 13, we're going to read this whole part right here. And I want, want to just explain it. It says after this, it says, after all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle, in your struggle against sin. He's basically saying, hey, you're not dead yet. Nice way to start off. It says, and have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. He's saying, hey, just because you've been disciplined doesn't mean we give up. Actually, when we receive discipline, it means, hey, we know what to do and we change it. It says, for the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as a child. And the word punish there is not the word punish that we, we understand it to be as in a finality of something. It's more of a, a, a response that leads to a change, and I'll explain more of that later. It says, as you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and not really his children at all which is a big thing to pay attention to. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more. So since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It, he's kind of stating the obvious. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. Become strong. What is he saying? He's saying this is what God does to get us right back on the path. This is what God does to help us. Why? Why? Because he knows better. And because he has better. That's the reason he disciplines us. So I just want to walk through that a little bit. And understanding really of why does God discipline? What does he do? Why does he do this for us? And here's the first one. He loves us. He loves us. Which, like I said, when you don't have kids, this is really hard to understand. Because you're like, that, that doesn't sound right. Like for many of us, that, that's not what we, we go with. Like it doesn't make sense. But I'll tell you this. Like the reason I discipline my kids is because I love them. One, I don't want them to do something that's going to hurt themselves. And two, I want them to do better in this world. In fact, here's what's interesting. My dad used to say it this way. He goes, you, you don't discipline your kids so that you will love them. You discipline your kids so other people will love them. <laughs> Why? Because you want other people in their life. You want other people around you. In the same way, God's going, I'm going to discipline you so that you can be my love to the world. So that you can show them who I am, not who you are. So that you can show them something more. And here's the deal. We say, oh, he loves me, so he disciplines me. No, let's remember. His first sign that he loved us was not discipline. His first sign that he loved us was he sent Jesus. Like his first sign that he loved us is he allowed his son to come down to this earth, live a perfect life, die on the cross for a crime he didn't commit so that we could spend eternity in heaven. That, that was his first showing of love. What, what he's doing with discipline is he's showing us that love. Like we, we always love the comforting, uh, you know, very tender, caring Jesus. We have a hard time with the, the, with the Jesus that disciplines or the Jesus that corrects, but that's a part of it. I think there's a part of us today in society that we don't like it when people correct us. Well, why are we not okay with the God of the universe correcting us? Like I, I can understand we don't like certain people doing it, but there's no one that knows more. There's no one that understands more, and there's no one that loves you more than God. So he, he's showing this love by correcting us. 
In fact, I would say this, if God did nothing, it would be unloving. Guys, if I didn't correct my sons when they went towards the, the pool or they went towards the electricity, that would be unloving. Like if I just said, well, we don't say no to our kids. No, that's an awful thing to do. Please don't be those parents. No, you have to. Why? Because they need correction. They need help in these things. If God did nothing, it would be unloving. If God just allowed us to go further and further away into our sin and get worse and worse off, that would be unloving. The point of the discipline is not to make things worse. The point of discipline is to get our attention so we go back in the right direction because there's something worse off in the distance. So he does it because, one, he loves us, two, because we are his children, which means this. He's accepted us. He loves us. He's adopted us. It's a sign of a relationship with us. And here's the hard part I know for so many of you is, is many of you did not have a parent that disciplined in the correct way. And look, no parent does it perfectly, but you had an abusive parent. And so when I say God disciplines us like parents discipline their children, your idea of what that looks like, it falls to the wayside of what the author is trying to say because you're thinking, well, that's who God is. If God is like my father, then he's an abusive father. If God is like my mother, then she is a passive aggressive. He's a passive aggressive God. And no, no, he's a perfect God. He's a perfect God. In fact, you know what's interesting about this? And I said this before. It says that if he doesn't, then we are illegitimate children. I, I get this question all the time. H how do you know for the people that, that look like they came to God, that, that told, you know, gave their life to Christ, all that kind of stuff, and then go away from God for the rest of their life? How do you know if they actually, if they knew God? Right? How do you know, it, are they going to heaven or are they not going to heaven? Well, when they walked away from God, was it easy? Was it easy? Because if it was easy then God wasn't there, then God wasn't his, their father. Because when we walk away from God, there's always consequences. There's consequences. Why? Because he loves us. Because he knows what we're walking away into is not good. I know that's not an easy thing to hear, but, but that's what God does. He goes, if you are my children, then I will discipline you. And so if, if someone who never knew God walks away from God, they're not going to receive discipline. Why? Because they never knew him in the first place. They haven't been accepted into their family. Here's the third thing. We have something to learn. We all have something to learn. In fact, the, the word discipline here literally means to teach, to train, to instruct, and to educate. To teach, to train, to instruct, and to educate. Like, well, then why doesn't God just give us, you know, a lecture? <laughs> because lectures, one, they don't work. And two, there's not a greater teacher in life than pain. I'll be honest with you guys, I've never learned more than in times of my life where I'm in the greatest pain or in the greatest struggle. The times where my marriage has either been the worst or the times where I didn't know what was happening in my life, where I was going or what God was doing, those are the times that I grew the most. Why? Because we are the most open to what's happening when pain is there. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He says, we can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Because we don't pay attention. And if we're honest, if there is no pain, we don't pay attention. We don't pay attention. In fact, if there is no pain, we go, well, I guess God's okay with it. I guess this is fine. So God brings that in. We tend to hear him the most through pain. 
And he's using this not to, to, not to just bring us pain, but to correct us and to help us bring back to something better. Here's the last thing it does for us. It helps us become more holy and fruitful. More holy and fruitful. What does that mean? Well, when we're back on the path that God has for us, we become, one, more like God. Two, our life becomes more fruitful, which means this. We have a greater purpose. See, God's not trying to bring you back to his path just because it's his path. God is trying to bring you back to his path because he has something better. He has something more for us. And the more we stay with him, the more we stay around him, the closer we become to him, the more fruit we have in our lives. We actually see this in the Bible. It's called the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These are those things. So God will bring us back. Why? Because he has something more for us. He has a better life for us. And so the question that I always, and here's the hardest thing about discipline, and I'll bring this back, is I can't tell you if what you're going through right now is discipline or not. I can't. And here's why. God's discipline is his response to our disobedience, which means this, and I need us to know this. Not every tragedy, difficulty, or trial is God's discipline, which means, and I, look, these are conversations that I had. Did God kill that person so that I would learn this lesson? No. Like, God did not allow your grandmother to die so that you can learn a lesson. Like, that's not, that's not what happened. God, did, God, God didn't do that. God didn't, and, and I've had people come to me and say, well, did God cause my kid to be born with this problem because of my sin? No. No, that, that's, not, that's not what God, God is not going to discipline somebody else for your discipline. That's not the that way that it works. How do you know that it's discipline? There's a direct correlation between what you're doing that's disobedience and the discipline that is coming. I don't know if you guys have noticed, I have noticed in my life, and this is awful, I hate this, that when I do the wrong thing as a follower of God, all the worst consequences come quicker to me than everybody else that is doing them. It, it, I don't know if you guys, like, I will have people around me that are doing the same exact thing. They don't have the consequences. But for some reason, when I do the wrong thing, the consequences come much quicker. Is it, is it, it's as if God's going, hey, don't. Don't. And the reason he's doing that, the reason he's allowing me to feel those consequences, the reason he's allowing me to feel that discipline is because he knows what's after that step. Yeah, I just took one step of disobedience or two steps of disobedience, but he knows what's going to continue to happen, happen more and more after that. Look, the reason there is so much pain and suffering in the world is not because of God's discipline, it's because of sin. It's because of sin. So, so don't get that confused. But when we understand, like I said, it's the maturity. When we understand that it is God's discipline, it allows us to take a step back and go, okay, so why is this happening and what do I need to do? Why is this happening and how do I need to change this? Because like I said before, this is discipline, not punishment. In fact, if you were one of God's children, we don't deal with punishment. The only punishment that God has for the world is for those that choose not to follow after him. For the rest of us, it, it, he brings discipline. Why? Because discipline means there's a chance for change. Punishment means this is finite. This is done. I think one of the best ways to, to figure out if it's discipline, I think this is what God does, is he tends to take away the freedom that you use to make the decision to walk away from him. Many times. Like, why is this happening? Why am I dealing with this? Well, is it taking away the freedom that you had before? Because, look, we have, it's the interesting thing about free will. 
we have free will. We have freedom to make whatever choice we want. The problem is the more wrong choices we make, the less free will we have, less freedom we have. So what God tends to do in those moments, he goes, okay, you chose that way. I'm going to take away that freedom with this consequence so that you can choose right next time. And I just want you guys to know, God, God is not one that starts with a hammer. You see, it, his, he's got a very long fuse. I always like to look at the Israelites. God waited very long for them to get it right, like hundreds of years. Now, he's not going to wait hundreds of years for us. But he waited an incredibly long time. In fact, God, God doesn't start with, actually what he starts with is a whisper. When we start to go the wrong direction, when we, when we have a relationship with God, he starts to go, hey, this is not, don't do this. You're heading in the wrong way. That's not what's best for you. I've got something better. I want to help you in this. But what happens is many of us, including myself, we go, oh, but I know better. Or I just want to do this. And we keep going. And what happens over time, the consequences become bigger and bigger. Where we have no choice but to turn back and go, what's happening? Now, the immature thing to do in that moment is to say, God hates me. That's immaturity. The mature thing to do in that moment is go, God loves me. He's doing this to get my attention so I can step back towards him. Because the path that I'm heading down is going to end up way worse than I think. Because I can't see it all, but he can. But he can. So what's the response? What's the response to this message? I, I think the response, it, it, it's, it's just that. Maybe take some moments today to look at your life to go, is there something happening right now that I've just said was bad luck or something just bad happening? But it's actually, it's God trying to get my attention. God trying to show me something. Because when we, when we learn from what he's doing and we get back on the right path, he, he takes away those consequences. That's the, that's the difference of it. This only makes sense if you believe he has something better. But why would he send his son? Why would he show us such love if he didn't want something better for us? That's what his discipline is.